Hi, friend. Welcome to the U-Turn Podcast. This is a show that's meant to help you remember who you truly are. I'm Ashley Stahl, a career expert, the author of the new book, U-Turn, Get Unstuck, Discover Your Direction, and Design Your Dream Career. It's now available everywhere books are sold. And it's my honor to bring you guest conversations or even a solo episode with me every single week, all designed to help you elevate your confidence in work, in love, and in life. This is a place for you to reconnect to who you truly are, what you truly want, and to really heal from anything that is telling you that you are otherwise. Wherever you are, I am so grateful to be here in your ears. And I also want to give a shout out with so much thanks to our sponsor, Organifi. You can find them over at Organifi.com slash U-Turn. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N. And when you use the U-Turn checkout code, you get 20% off your order. They make the most magical elixirs, whether it's powders for you to get your greens on every day, really tasty, clean protein powders to add into your diet. I have them every single morning. Probiotic powders to help you really heal and strengthen your immune system. So much more. Now let's get in to this week's conversation. When we truly surrender, we're not holding on. When we truly surrender, we're not trying to make something into something that may not be. We're open. We're open to life. We're open to the possibilities. In surrender, there is the willingness to embrace the unknown, the willingness to uh, to not know, to allow life to lead you. And when you allow life to lead you, you're following the energy. And shall we say that's when synchronicities happen. So... In terms of surrender, it doesn't mean you're lazy. It doesn't mean you give up. It means you give everything. Like you give everything to a relationship. You give everything to to whatever endeavor. You give 100%, you show up 100%. And I found that when you give everything, it's much easier to surrender because deep down, you can have a peace in your heart knowing there's nothing else for you to give. And so long as you've given everything, that's all you can do. What's going on, U-Turn friends? You know that I have some very special friends in my life, and one of them, without a doubt, has been Coot Blackson, who has been on the podcast before. I remember getting so much, uh, so many amazing pieces of feedback when he came on to talk about his book, You Are the One, and now he has another book coming out in May. I'm so excited, May 2021. You've got to check it out. It's called Magic of surrender. And for those of you who don't know Coot, he is a visionary, a transformational teacher, national best-selling author, and obviously most importantly, my really special friend. So, I'm really excited to talk about surrender. You've all been hearing me kind of face Lyme disease and different things in my life that I mean always require surrender and one of the most powerful things that I've realized when I feel powerless is that there's actually a power in surrendering. And I want to talk to Coot about how we can do more of that. So my friend, thank you for coming back on the podcast. Thanks for having me again. I've been looking forward to it as always. 
I know you are, you have such a special energy to you. I know that you've done seminars. What has been up your sleeve this past year with so much change during COVID and what inspired you to write this book? I would say 2021 has been full of unexpected change in so many ways. I mean, moving from Los Angeles, letting go of my office in Los Angeles, which I never thought I would leave, uh, moving to Phoenix, selling my house in Phoenix, moving to Miami. I mean, it's been a year of, of growth and evolution. And I think sometimes in life, we think we're in control. And I think 2020 was like the universe throwing us all into a global seminar, global meditation on the very theme of surrender, reminding us as human beings that, you know, we're, we're really not in control. We like to think we're in control. We, the ego wants to be in control. Control is kind of the master addiction, but I think control is an illusion in, in a sense. And so I think uh, 2020 for us all, me included, has been a, a form of letting go of the perceived sense of control. And I think when we let go of control, uh, we're able to open to more and able to allow life to show us, allow life to guide us, allow life to lead us, allow the intelligence of life to move us in the direction that we're meant to be. And so that's been much of my, much of my year. And, you know, even around the book, Ash, uh, you know, I had all these ideas of the book I thought I was going to write, right? I had all these ideas of, of the book I wanted to write, the book I thought would sell, the book I thought would be a bestseller. Oh my God. I remember when I first sat down to write uh, the proposal with all these ideas. I sat down with an editor. I started brainstorming all these ideas. I had an entire whiteboard literally full of hundreds and hundreds of ideas, you know, almost a hundred book titles. That would be a great book. That would be a great book. People would love that. They would buy that. And, and honestly, none of those became the book. The Magic of Surrender was not the book I thought I was going to write. But when I stepped back one day, as I threw all these ideas on the table, and then I, uh, I really stepped back and felt deeper than my mind, it became really clear one day that this was the book that was seeking to happen. Mm -hmm. This was the book that, was, that the universe was seeking to write through me. This was the book that I was uniquely designed and born to write in my lifetime. Everything in my life had actually prepared me to write this book. And when I saw that, even though it wasn't what my mind thought the book was going to be, it became so clear in my being, in my body, in my heart, in my soul. It was undeniable. It was a resonance. And I just had to say yes to it. And it felt like from that moment, there was a moment of surrendering to what, the, what was seeking to happen. And when I really aligned with that, and I think when we align with with the deepest impulse, the deepest truth in our hearts of what is seeking to happen, then we move ourselves into the flow. And when I really said yes to the surrender concept, I didn't, I still didn't know the book was going to be called the magic of surrender, because once again, I had all these ideas of these sexy, crazy, amazing titles. And then simply one day we just said, I just said, the magic surrendering leads to magic, the magic of surrender. My mind was like, come on, that's such a, it's, it's too simple, you know, I mean, but we try to complicate life. We try to complicate mm. relationships. We try to complicate our purpose. We try to complicate so many things, trying to live a life that we think we should be living, trying to be someone that we think we should be rather than just being what's true, what's real, what's authentic. And then the type, the book came, the structure came, the concepts came, the ideas came, the title came. And it was, and, and, and it was just the process of just aligning. And I think when we follow the energy of life, the energy of our deep guidance, of our deep truth, 
then we are in tune, then we are in flow. That's when miracles, magic, synchronicities happen because we're not trying to manifest anything, control anything, force anything. And I think so often we're so busy trying to force life to be a certain way rather than aligning with the flow of life. And, and that's how the book came about. It was actually inspired real quick. I, I would say the seeds of it without me knowing in the moment, was inspired because uh, around 2016, 17, my mother was diagnosed with stomach cancer. Mm. She, she lived in London, and uh, it was a complete shock. My mother and I were very close. She's the dearest person to me, perhaps my best friend, the person I love the most. And so uh, I got to spend a year with my mother flying from Los Angeles to London, back and forth, back and forth every month, you know, being with her in her chemo sessions for three, four days, and then flying back to LA, working, flying back. And it was challenging. It was time consuming. I would just sit with her during her chemos and we would just talk about life, talk about mm -hmm. nothing. And, and honestly, it was the best year of my entire life, the most challenging year. But we, we got to just connect and spend this intimate, rich, profound time together. And uh, there was a moment, and I think this is where the seed of surrender was planted for me, especially around the book, because I think she was gifting me the theme of this book, pushing me to write this book without words. I never saw her one time during this year complain, lose faith, mm. uh, you know, feel like a victim, be angry at God. I mean, surprisingly, because she was a very emotional human. I mean, she she was really at peace with her process. There was one moment where the doctors called us into their office and they said to us, basically, to my mother, there's nothing else we can do for you. Put your affairs in order. Uh, we don't know when that moment will be, but it's likely days, weeks or months, but definitely not years. So, you know, in a nice way, you're going to die. Mm -hmm. And... It was such a heartbreaking moment for me to realize this is it, you know, the, the, the mortality, the reality of, of the fragility and the mortality of life really hit me. And there were so there was so much emotion. And as I was in the car driving my mother home, I looked at my mother and, and, and I said to her, are you are you afraid? You know, you're going to die. And she looked at me. Two things happened. She looked at me. She said, I really am not afraid because I know I'm not simply this body. I am a spirit. And she really meant it. You know, it wasn't like for Instagram or YouTube or no one was around. It was just me and her. And she just said, I know I'm just a spirit. I'm, I'm, I'm eternal and, and I'm at peace and, and I'll always be with you from the other side. And mm -hmm. then I said, and then I said to her, is there anything I can do for you uh, to make your final days better? Is there any, yeah, I just wanted to be a good son. Can I buy you something? Can I take you somewhere? And, and this was the key of surrender for me that I realized that she was truly in surrender. And then I think even when she passed, I spent my time meditating on how she really got there in terms of surrender. And I, and, and I didn't know at the time, but what she said to me was, there's nothing I want, Clue. I don't want this. I don't want to go here. All I want, and this wasn't so much for me a religious thing. It was a spiritual surrender thing. And she simply said, uh, all I want is what God wants for my life. There's nothing else that I want. Mm. And, and, and I've really felt the depth of peace and the depth of acceptance and the depth of surrender in that moment. She just wanted the highest good for her soul's destiny. And mm. she had surrendered to that. And, and then I saw that 
the reason she was who she was was because she surrendered. And then once she passed and I was reflecting on the book and what I was going to write about, I looked at people like Jesus and Buddha and Bruce Lee and Muhammad Ali and Mother Teresa and Nelson Mandela, who was in prison for 27 years, and, and Martin Luther King and, and even Elon Musk and many of the so-called great ones in their fields. They were great not because they were the richest or the smartest or the most handsome. They were great because they all surrendered. Mm. They surrendered to their purpose. They surrendered to their soul's guidance. They surrendered to something bigger than themselves. And, and I think when they did that, they, they, they opened themselves to, to more than their own ego, more than their own personal power. And that's when life, you know, the infinite intelligence of life was able to live through them and manifest through them and express through them. And that's why they were able to have such an impact and facilitate miracles. And that's why, you know, the book is about surrender and the whole super, the whole key, as in surrender being the password to freedom, surrender being the, the often unspoken superpower, because in our, um, in our generation today, in our world today, we often think of surrender as weak. You know, we often think of surrender as passive. We often think that, you know, we live in a culture of hustle, grind, make it happen, make it happen. But I realized for so many of us, at least exhaustion, anxiety, stress, burnout, you know, uh, frustration, maybe we do get what we thought we wanted only to realize it's not really what we wanted. There was, there was more, there was something else. And so I'm just inviting us like, well, what happens if we stop forcing and pushing, yeah. trying to make things happen? And we, we surrender to something bigger. Maybe we get, we will actually get more than we can imagine. Yeah. Wow. First of all, I'm, I'm glad you got that time with your mom and I'm sorry to hear about her, even though she seemed to have such an incredible mindset about it. And I, you know, parents are so sacred and death is so nat natural. And I think a lot of people, it's, it's interesting. I was walking around New York before COVID and mm. I saw a couple morgues on my way to like a coffee shop. And mm. I just kind of had this moment where I was looking at it thinking like reminders of our mortality are peppered throughout society every day. And we kind of close a blind eye to it because it's painful, you know? And in my case, even with my business, like ever since I found out about the Lyme, I've been somewhere between surrender and I don't want to say denial. Uh. It's like, um, Oh, like, I, I think there's a fine line between holding a vision and being inspired and being completely delusional, if that makes sense. Mm. And so with my Lyme disease, I've had these moments of, okay, I'm different. I'm my body as well. And the story I'm going to tell myself is these little Lyme friends are just visiting and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to have to deal with them. Like everybody else has to deal with them, you know, cause there's a lot of people I know have been really sick from Lyme. And so I'm curious, like, where do you draw that line between holding a vision, having a really positive mindset and denying what is and robbing yourself the opportunity of saying, I need to surrender? Okay. I just want maybe, you know, I want to share maybe a few, uh, let's call it stages or phases of surrender, because I think it really hits to what you're saying. Like yes. the, the first phase tends to be. Uh, well, we're not even really conscious. We are in denial, right? We're, we're in denial. We don't even know that we're lying. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and we're just in denial. Like, we're not even in the place of resistance. We don't even know that anything's wrong. And we're just living unconsciously. Things may not be working. Things may not be fulfilling. But we're in denial. That's, that's the sort of level one. 
then we start becoming aware that perhaps, you know, perhaps something's, the struggle's not working. Perhaps I'm feeling a little off. Perhaps my health isn't, you know, perhaps my relationship isn't quite what I want. Perhaps certain things. So we're starting to become a little bit more conscious and aware. And we're aware that perhaps something needs to shift and change in our life, in our relationship, in our career, with ourselves, maybe an addiction, whatever it may be. But we know that the shift is going to lead to changes and maybe we're still afraid of those consequences. And so we begin the process of resisting. The resistance could be, mm, no, I'm fine. I don't need to change. You know, I can make it work. This doesn't relate to me. And so the resistance kicks in. Then that next phase, uh, and we kind of have to go through some of these phases on our way to surrender. So that, that next phase after resistance is, we'll call it negotiation where we start negotiating in our mind for reasons to not make changes, to not let go, to not release. And uh, we start rationalizing and the mind is very sneaky. We can start rationalizing and making anything, uh, anything. We can tend to justify any idea to, to reinforce our current paradigm or identity and so we start negotiating in our minds ah the, the, you know this person has potential it's not that bad or i'm okay or it's not that painful or i can make it work or you know so the negotiation starts happening the challenges the negotiation simply keeps us stuck so i think one of the things we have to do is stop negotiating with life and and have the willingness to face reality as it is facing reality as it is doesn't mean giving up what it means is is acceptance i like to say that i'm not an um i don't see the glass half full i don't see the glass half empty i just like to see the glass as it is you know so i'm a realist in that sense because i think when you're able to come into acceptance and see the situation as it is without adding a judgment or a story or some other meaning but just see it as it is exactly, then you move into acceptance. Then you can bring, in relation, you bring yourself into relationship with the situation. And it's only when you bring yourself into relationship with something as it is that you can actually decide what to do to shift it in a sense. Yeah. And so that next stage is acceptance. Here's the thing. Acceptance or acceptance of what is does not equal surrender. Many people think that Oh, acceptance. I'm, I'm, I'm in acceptance. And why, why are things still not happening? Because we can be in acceptance, but still be pissed off. We can be in acceptance, but still be resisting. We can be in acceptance, but still not be participating wholeheartedly. It's like if it's raining outside, you can be in acceptance that it's raining outside, take an umbrella outside, but be moaning, groaning, and complaining and mad at the world. Like the experience that I'm having is not the experience that I should be having. And so this is acceptance, but there's still a tinge of internal resistance. To move from acceptance to the level of surrender. So acceptance is necessary. Okay. I'm not well, I'm not feeling well, I, I have Lyme disease, you know, this relationship isn't working, I, I'm 200 pounds overweight, or I, I hate my job, I need to leave. This is what it is. No judgment, total, totally embracing reality. But to really create the shift and move into surrender, when I say surrender, what I'm talking about is taking the conditions off of life. When I say surrender, I'm talking about not trying to force life. When I say surrender, it is the open-hearted participation, the 
open-hearted participation with the process of whatever it is that is happening in your life, realizing that everything in life is happening for a reason, everything in life is happening for your highest good, and realizing that ultimately, because as human beings, we are here to evolve. Every single situation, every single disease, every single uh, relationship, every single experience is, is really here to teach us and help us learn something and grow and evolve our consciousness as a part of our soul's evolution. And so surrender is the willingness, willingness to say, okay, I'm going to participate with this experience, with the situation, with an open heart, roll my sleeves up. It may not be easy, but I'm going to do the work so that through this situation, through this experience, I'm going to learn the lessons that my soul needs to learn. And I'm going to dive into that process and that journey and that experience. And open my heart to it. That is a level of surrender. To get to that open-hearted participation with what's unfolding, with what's happening, most people skip the step that's after acceptance. And that is what I call grieving. Mm. Grie grieving, you know, in an effort to, to stay positive, right? You're talking about being positive, right? In an effort to stay positive, we tend to skip grieving, like acceptance, surrender. But if we don't honor the, our humanity, if we don't honor the grieving process, because to truly surrender is a death, is a death of, let's say, who we thought we were, is a death of an identity, is a death of a dream, maybe a death of a relationship. Many of us had all these plans in 2020, and we had to let go of the dreams, goals, and desires of what we thought was going to be, the life we thought was going to be. So there is a sense of death that we have to go through in order to move to surrender. Surrender is a death. And then that is the, the willingness to honor our grief the sadness. So if you are someone that you're going through a moment of grief, I would actually say you're doing something right because likely you're in the process of really letting go and there is no true authentic surrender without grieving. And to really grieve, we have to give ourselves the permission and the space and the time to not distract ourselves, but to feel, to cry, to journal, to emote, to release. And many times the grief won't happen in one moment, but it will happen in waves. The mistake that we sometimes make is we do a spiritual bypass. Let's say we, we, you know, we've been taught, keep your vibration high, the law of attraction, you attract the, you know, your vibrational frequency. But if we, that, so we do a spiritual bypass, which is using that spiritual concept to, to sort of bypass our humanity. The challenge is when we don't feel our sadness or honor our pain or honor our grief, we suppress that inside. We keep it stuck and stored in our physiology, in our body, in our psyche, in our nervous system. And unintentionally, we will actually end up, because that old energetic vibration of heaviness and grief is inside of us that we haven't allowed, we will end up kind of creating situations that, that force us to feel and acknowledge that grief, or we will end up attracting situations that are in a similar vibrational resonance with the grief that we haven't allowed us ourselves to feel that we're still carrying with us. And so when we truly honor the grief, we feel the grief, all feelings uh, remain present until fully felt and no feeling lasts forever. So when we feel the grief, the grief has its own cycle. It will, it will, it will cycle up. We will feel it. We will let go of that level. We will, it will, uh, maybe another wave will come. We will feel it. We will let go of that level. And eventually over time, as we have a relationship with the grief, layers and layers like an onion will peel away and we'll move through. Then we're able to move into that state of surrender, the open-hearted participation. Then from surrender, 
when we truly surrender, we're not holding on. When we truly surrender, we're not trying to make something into something that may not be. We're open. We're open to life. We're open to the possibilities. In surrender, there is the willingness to embrace the unknown, the willingness to, uh, to not know, to, to, to allow life to lead you. And when you allow life to lead you, you're following the energy. And shall we say that's when synchronicities happen. So in terms of surrender, it doesn't mean you're lazy. It doesn't mean you give up. It means you give everything, like you give everything to a relationship. You give everything to, to whatever endeavor. You give 100%, you show up 100%. And I found that when you give everything, it's much easier to surrender because deep down you can have a peace in your heart knowing well, there's nothing else for you to give. And so long as you've given everything, that's all you can do. So you give everything, but the key is you, you, to not get attached and hold on to, let's say, even the specific form of the outcome or how you think it's going to be, when you think it's going to be, even what you think it's going to be, give everything, be open and see. And from that place of openness, you can get curious to see what life brings you, what shows up. Sure, you can have an intention, you can have a desire, you can have a, you can have a goal, but I would always say don't get so attached to life showing up in that specific way because life may not, not show up in that specific way. But if we're at least open, we give 100% but we're open, then, then, then there's a room inside of us to, to allow life to show up how it needs to show up for us, you know? U-Turners, I have a quick but important interruption here. I want to thank Organifi, as always, for sponsoring this podcast episode and just encourage you to check out their site and consider treating yourself to some of their products that have been such a game changer for my health. They just gave us an even bigger discount code at 20% off when you type in the code U-Turn at checkout. And I've been particularly obsessed with Organifi's Pure product. The Pure powder is tasteless but powerful, full of superfood ingredients to help your gut and your mind stay healthy, such as probiotics, lion's mane, aloe vera, ginger extract, to name a few. I put the pure powder in my coffee and it's been helping me stay healthy during these really weird times that we're all in. So if you're looking to easily up your immunity and dodge whatever germs are floating in the air, the pure powder at Organifi is it. Just head on over to Organifi.com slash U-Turn. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N. And don't forget to type in your U-Turn code at checkout for 20% off pure. Now let's get back to this week's episode. So I want to kind of just outline these steps one more time for anybody taking notes. You said when something happens, the first step is to move into acceptance, right? That's after the event. Well, first we tend to go into denial, then there's resistance. Then, Got we it. then yes, acceptance. Acceptance is this is what it is. Mm -hmm. you know, lots of times, even in relationships, we're, we're not in relationship with what is. We're in relationship with someone's potential, you know, and we're projecting onto someone their potential. I say, look, look at the potential, but ask yourself. Ask yourself, if this person, just as a relationship practical example, if this person doesn't change, could I be okay with that? Like, accept what is, accept where they're at, accept the situation exactly as it is. Not half full, not half empty, as it is. So we move into acceptance, yes. Okay, beautiful. And I know that grief can really put you out 
one of my dearest friends called off her wedding. I called off a wedding years ago and I didn't have as much grief after because I had processed a lot of grief during the relationship. But I know that a lot of people have resistance to grief because it's threatening. Like it can feel like it can put you out or like you can't survive as well in the world when you're in grief. Um, I know with a sister who died, you know, a few years ago, it's like grief hits me in the weirdest times. Like when I'm celebrating something, I feel her death so much more because I want her to see it. I want her to be there. I want to talk to her about it. And so it's interesting to notice that grief can come not only when you're feeling sad or the the loss of someone, but a lot of the times during celebration. And I think for that reason, people resist feeling grief. So what would be your message for someone who is like, I don't want to feel grief because it's putting me out. Like I have a job to do. I've got a a day to have, and I'm, I'm scared that I won't perform in my job if I feel how sad I am yeah I think it's it's a it's a delicate beautiful raw tender thing to consider you know when my mother passed away my book had just come out about three four months I was in the throes of promoting it and on a high right here I am on a high best-selling book coming out I'm going on Larry King all these things are happening I mean we're jamming and your mother has cancer and I'm in this process of an entire year, having to promote the book, Be Positive, simultaneously, uh, I'm seeing my mother die. I'm seeing my mother wither away. And so grief is raw. And what I realized that, yes, you can protect yourself from the grief, which is what we tend to do. We drink it away, we sex it away, we social media it away, we work it away, we find ways to numb it because it is painful. Um, sometimes we don't want to feel the grief because if we feel the grief, there will have to be, we will have to at some point move into an acceptance of actually letting go. And sometimes by not feeling the grief fully, that's the way we try to not let go of a situation or a person and keep holding on to where we're at right now. Right. And so what I found when my mother was passed was, was, was in the process of dying was yes, I could have suppressed the grief. But it was through it was through acknowledging the grief and feeling the grief and allowing the grief and allowing my heart to break open that I that I found a deeper strength that I found you. So so I'll tell everyone you will find a deeper strength. I found a deeper strength. I found that even in the depth of the grief underneath that was a deeper strength and my heart couldn't, my heart didn't actually break. It actually just broke open to, to more love. And so without acknowledging the grief, you can't acknowledge the fullness of the love and to really tap in. So if you resist the grief, you will also limit the depth of your capacity to feel the love, to express the love, to acknowledge the love, to embrace the love. And so realize that sometimes we don't want to feel the grief because we feel we won't be able to handle it. We feel we will shatter into pieces. We feel we won't be able to make it. We're afraid it will last forever if we feel it. And what I want everyone to know is that rest assured, you will handle it. Your heart will break but it will break open. When my mother died, my heart broke, Ash. My heart shattered. There were moments, honestly, where I just wept, you know? I just wept. And you know what? It was a strange thing. When I wept, 
it wasn't bad. I, I wept, and then my heart, it was like my heart broke open to a new sh shape, a new dimension, and a new size. And then there was, you know, what I found was through that process, there was more love for my mother. There was more love for the world. Mm -hmm. my, my heart's shape and capacity to love simply expanded even more. And so the grief allows bigger love. And so know that, as I said earlier, all feelings that we don't feel simply stay stuck inside of us, but all feelings have their own natural cycle. And all feelings that we are just able to, to, to trust and be with, have a relationship with, and feel fully, all feelings that we feel fully with conscious awareness have their own cycle and they will arise, we will feel them, and they will dissolve. Many times, grief or sadness or certain ne negative emotions tend to stay stuck inside of our physiology, inside of our psyche, inside of our hearts. And we kind of have this low-grade uh, sadness because we don't allow ourselves to consciously complete the cycle of feeling or emotion. Every feeling has a full cycle that if we feel it, feel it, feel it, feel it, feel it. I'm not talking about wallowing it. Consciously feel it, feel it. Then that cycle, that wave will dissolve. And that layer of emotion peels. That doesn't mean the fullness of grief is over because the grief is like an onion. It comes in waves. So we have to realize, yes, you might feel one wave of grief. And then there's a deeper kind of resting place. And then throughout your day, there might be another moment of grief. Like for me, there was another moment of grief with my mother. And so I think it's important that we learn to cultivate a relationship to hold ourselves, to give ourselves permission, to not make it wrong, to realize the nature of emotion is cyclical. So, so just because we felt the grief, there might be another deeper layer of grief, but it's not the same layer. So nothing's wrong. So we have to start cultivating that relationship to allow one layer and then feel that, release that, allow another layer, feel that, release that, another layer, feel that, release that, like peeling an onion. And eventually there will be more space. Mm. The challenge is we kind of like half peel a layer and then we stop because it's too much and then we stay stuck. And then so there's, there's always this low-grade sadness that is, that is always incomplete inside of us and there's a heaviness inside of us that we're never, we're never really clear, you know. And so grief will come in waves. Mm -hmm. It's natural. It's normal. Feel it. Hold it. Be with it. Release it. Let it go. If it means crying, cry it. If it means, you know, you need to move and stretch and, you know, process it through your body, allow that. Hold space for yourself. It will move through. Trust that it will move through. And, through, you know, on the other side, for me, there was more love with my mother. You know, a few years later now, like there was such a clear, expansive space of just lightness of being inside of me because I was willing to let myself go through the layers and the stages of grieving. Like for instance, one of the quickest ways through a breakup, if anyone's listening, if maybe you've broken up with your partner during this time or you're in a moment of a breakup, one of the mistakes that we make during a breakup is we break up and we jump right into another relationship. I think that's like mm -hmm. the worst thing we can do, you know, uh, or we, we break up and we just, we just deny our feelings of heartbreak and we dive right into work, shut ourselves off, or, uh, or we do some substance to not feel it. One of the Wait, quick... 
Well, we, one question I have with that, Coot, is yeah. like, how do you decide how much time to give yourself? Uh, good question. You know? really, good, really good question. I would say it's not about wallowing in it all day, right? Just because then we that, then there's the danger of just sort of collapsing in it and staying yeah. stuck in it. But I think it is important to allow yourself the space and the time. And, it, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say that there is a set formula of, okay, you know, you give, You're yourself, ready. <laughs> yeah. you give yourself four hours a day, you give yourself three yeah. hours a day. But, but I think we don't give ourselves enough time. I see so many people, let's say, they, they break up and they just start dating someone else. And yeah. all you have to do is you will bring that old unresolved heartbreak and energy into your new relationship. And now you now it's so, so much is going to get stuck and clouded. So I would say take the space of the time, honor, honor the love, honor the heartbreak, honor the grief, honor the person, honor yourself. Use the time to, let's say, learn the lessons, use the time to reflect on yourself, to forgive, to release, to process. And so that might be, you know. It might be an hour a day for a period of time, maybe another couple of hours journaling, writing, feeling, intending, learning the lessons, taking responsibility, letting those feelings move through, feeling with conscious awareness, not as a victim, but feeling with conscious awareness. And that might be, you know, an hour, that might be half an hour, that might be 45 minutes. And then, you know, going into activity, going into work, being around community, being around loving friends, you know, going into service. But whatever the time that you're needing, honoring the space and the time, and that might mean all of a sudden, you know, in the evening, you might uh, be at home and tears start flowing. Mm -hmm. Allow those tears to start flowing. Feel those tears, but feel those tears with the intention of moving through, not with the intention of, of like an addictive sense of staying stuck in that emotion because it's just, you know, it, 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 if we're not careful, it can, it, it can be addictive to just stay stuck in the emotion and feel sorry for ourselves. Feel it with conscious intention and awareness to process and let go. And that might be half an hour. That might mean for a few days you're just living your life and, and then something naturally moves. But I think the more we can just give ourselves the tenderness, mm -hmm. give ourselves the, 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 the empathy, give ourselves the space to process and feel, what I will say is likely in the long run, you will move through the grieving way more quickly than if you try to rush through it or if you live in denial about it. You will end up processing it, completing it, and move through it, move, move, move through it much more quickly. So give yourself the space and time, whatever that is. I don't think there's a right way. I would definitely not say it's all day, every day, uh, but it might be an hour a day, half an hour a day, the intentionally moving through as a yoga. You know, for me, when I felt grief in my life, I've, you know, I, I, I give myself the time. So it might be like, an hour a day, an hour in the evening where I'm going to write about the, the lessons and just kind of write my feelings out. So I'm not just sitting there just wallowing. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of consciously surrendered to the grief and surrendered to the process and, and open-heartedly participating with the process of, of the grief. And so that might mean I'm going to be journaling my thoughts and my feelings and my emotions out and letting it go, right? That um, could be one way to participate in the grief. I love this because I, I wrote about something in my book about indulging versus resisting mm -hmm. and sometimes everybody everybody needs different medicine for grief i think and i'm curious on your opinion but i think some people indulge in their grief and kind of do what you were saying like wallow and get saturated in it and it's like a wave that comes in and never goes back 
towards the water and they let it catch them. And there's like an indulgence. And sometimes the healing for someone who's completely indulging in it is to stop indulging in it and, and move mm-hmm. forward. And then there's other people who are in resistance. And, and it sounds like there's a lot of those people that you could be talking to here on this podcast where they're not letting the wave come in at all. And it's like, I love this idea of structure, like saying like, I've got a lot of grief. And so I'm going to be productive with it. And sometimes being productive is just sitting there and being sad. And then other times being productive is going to look like journaling and seeing what you're realizing or getting out of it. And I love the journaling exercise of getting present to one aspect of you. And grief is clearly an aspect that we all have in different areas. Um, Even for me, as I talked to my partner about getting engaged and married and we're looking for a house right now, we both were talking about the grief that we feel like we're so happy to be with each other. And we feel a grief of this is us choosing each other. And we are grieving all of the other versions of lives and partnerships and ways of living that would have happened with a different partner. So it's like with this happening, happiness comes this grief and we've both held space to kind of process that. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious, like, what would you have to say for somebody who is indulging in grief and like, they're just living in the grief. And then there's people who are resisting. Cause I'm guessing that maybe there's some exercises or some reflections that you would have for those two different. I I think if you're indulging in the grief, it's okay, but no judgment, but let's, let's just be honest that you're indulging in the grief. And I think a question to ask, firstly, so the willingness to be honest, I'm indulging in the grief. Mm-hmm. Secondly, the question to start asking yourself as an exploration without any judgment, because judgment tends to reinforce the very thing we're trying to shift. I would say the willingness to ask yourself the question, like, what is the payoff that I'm getting by staying stuck in this grief? Mm. What is the payoff that I'm getting by staying stuck in the grief because that person on some level, as much as they would say no, some part of them doesn't want to give up the grief because it's comfortable because maybe they're using the grief as a way, you know, sometimes we'll hold on to the grieving as a way to stay. For instance, if I hold on to this grief, I don't have to let go of that person. And it gives me a way of feeling connected to my mother, right? Because I can always feel this love, feel this grief, and I can kind of stay connected to that person, stay connected to that relationship. And so I think it's important to look at what is the payoff that you are getting? What is the payoff that you are getting by staying stuck in this grief, wallowing the grief and not letting go? And just starting to feel a little deeper to really be honest about what that is without any judgment. Because if you can start being honest about that, then you can, you can kind of start moving through and unearthing that. You know? But I think the grieving is so important i mean you hit such a beautiful deep layer about your relationship you know like grieving the versions of yourself that that as you go deeper into relationship grieving the versions of yourself that would have been with someone else grieving the versions of let's say yourself uh, of giving up a certain identity of being alone you know it, it is a death it's a death life is a process of deaths and rebirths that we have to go through in the process of evolving, even the next level of our lives, the next level of our purpose, the next level of our, of our mission and our dharma requires that we let go of some old version of ourself that 
can be scary and is a death. And there might be a sadness in the letting go, even though the next step is something really positive. Like even in relationship, if you and your partner don't acknowledge that grief that you're talking about, and let's say someone says, no, just be happy. But if you don't acknowledge the grief and bring that uh, to conscious awareness within yourself and allow that process within yourself on top of holding the space to allow that process with you and your partner, likely, if you're not conscious, it will, only, it will, it will either create some disconnect or blockage in your intimacy, connection, community, in, in the connection between you and your partner moving forward, you know, because there will be some, some withhold inside of you or some place inside of you both that perhaps uh, are unable to fully surrender to each other. And so the grieving, the grieving allows the old to die. So I think it's so important to just to allow it because it, you know, in our spiritual, beautiful spiritual field, you know, self-help field, there is, there is a real emphasis on positivity, 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 positivity. You know, what you focus on expands, what you focus on expands, the law of attraction, only be positive. And I'm all for being positive, but we also have to surrender to and embrace the humanity. And when we feel the grief, we let go of that energy and naturally the result is more lightness more lightness of being rises to the surface naturally. Not, not as a overlay of, yeah, I have to pump myself up with motivation and be positive, but more as a internal innate arising of the light because we have removed some of the old heavy negative energies of, I don't want to say darkness, but the darker energies of sadness and shame and resentment and grief, because we've let that go, the light of our being that has always been there can start rising to the surface naturally, not as an overlay of, I'm going to do this affirmation and think positive and stay positive, but naturally there is an innate arising and beingness. And I think from that place, we can really start attracting more of that frequency of true, authentic positivity, not, not sort of a superficial, you know, uh, hyped up positivity to us. Mm -hmm. Okay. And if there's anything I've heard about the internet lately, I mean, there's a lot been going on on the interwebs, but toxic positivity mm. has been, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this feel very much so feels to me like the definition of that, like mm -hmm. bypassing grief okay, I feel like I could just listen to you forever on this because I think it's such an important topic. What have I not asked you about grief or what, what would be the thing that you'd want everyone to know? I love that you said grieving allows the old to die. And I feel like we're all carrying these backpacks around with like skeletons that we haven't let actually die because we haven't grieved them. And it's interesting, the people I know in my life, um, my big brother being one of them, my dad, was married before he met my mom and his first wife passed away. He had my big sister and my big brother in that marriage. And my big brother, uh, when he got laid off, like, I want to say like eight years ago. And when he got laid off, mm -hmm. it was like, suddenly this was like 25 years after his mom died. He was grieving the death of his mom. And it was so out of left field for some of us. Like he would call me crying. Like I'm grieving my mom that died. And I'm like, Rob, she died almost three decades ago. What's what's why now? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's like, she never, he never, you know, processed it. And, and the way that he avoided it 
and I want to bring this up as we close as well, is through workaholism. He Mm. hid in his work and he was so attached to his work. It was like a baby with a candy. So if it was like a Sunday and we were having a family gathering, we'd be like, Rob, come to the family gathering. He'd be like, I've got to work. I got to work. He was obsessed with working. We used to think, wow, he just loves his job. What we didn't realize is that he's hiding behind his job. And the moment that that those sheets came off of him and he Mm. got laid off, it was like he lost his mind for like a full year. Mm. in grief Mm. and so i would love Mm. to just kind of circle back to my question of like is there something i'm not asking you about and what can you share about addiction and what it looks like because i think this is probably one of the most common ways people grieve and addiction can look like many things so just curious for your feedback on that one yeah i mean you know addiction is you know i think underneath addiction is a desire to conscious or unconscious intention to uh, try and, and, and fulfill some need that wasn't met. And so there's something we're trying to get through that addiction that we will never really get through that addiction. And maybe we get a piece of that, so we kind of get a sniff of that. So we keep trying to get it through that addiction, but it's, it, it's never really fulfilled through that addiction. So there's something we're trying to get that we didn't get, uh, or we're trying to connect to, or we're using that addiction to avoid some feeling, avoid some pain, avoid some hurt. And so I always say that underneath this this addictive pattern or behavior is always a positive intention. There's something there's something we're seeking to get or there's something we're seeking to avoid. And I think the more we're able to to stop, be present to and be aware of what those two things are, whichever one it is, then we can begin to come into relationship and and be and and have the willingness to get honest about it to see if there is some, let's say, healthier way to create our life, healthier way to set up our relationships, healthier way to to bring ourselves in touch with the real essence of what we're trying to get, because many times what we're addicted to is not what we really want. We're just seeking something through that as a vehicle to get something through that. So is there a way to really connect to the real essence of what we're, what we're wanting uh, uh, instead of reaching out for that thing? And so it's delicate. You know, I think, I think in so many ways we are a culture that is addicted in certain ways. And, and you know, addiction could be spirituality. Addiction could yeah. be you know, alcohol, yes, it could be sex, alcohol, shopping. Yeah. But ultimately, in a sense, I think what we are all, if we're going to go even deeper, I think what we are all seeking, you know, is, how should we say, what we're all seeking is a connection to the divine. You know, we're all seeking the connection to what we are, the connection to source. And so I think the more we are able to surrender to I don't want to get too woo-woo, but the more we're able to, to, to connect to the source of what we are, which at some point in our lives, we tend to lose touch with. You know, we, we as a culture, as a humanity, through media, through conditioning, we, we're brainwashed and we're conditioned and disconnected from, from, from what we really are. And I think what we really are is a spark of the infinite. And, and, and what we're tending to do as human beings is, is, is find ways to connect to that something, the the infinite through the finite, but it's never really fulfilling. So I, I think that one of the most powerful things we can do as human beings is cultivate a spiritual practice 
where we are accessing the source of freedom through meditation, through spiritual practice, through prayer, where we're connecting to the source of our being, where we're connecting to that transcendental nature of our being, where we're connecting to that, that dimension of inner freedom inside of us through our spiritual practice. Because I think when we're connected to that source of inner freedom, we connect to a deeper sense of, of fulfillment inside. And when we're disconnected from the deep source of our inner freedom, our being, our soul, then we tend to seek it outside and find ways to, if I can make enough money, then I'm going to be free. If I can have enough orgasms, ah, then I'm going to be free. If I can you know, do enough drugs, then I'm going to be free. Because even when we do some of these addictive things, what is it we're seeking? I mean, someone does, we do a drug, for instance, and for a moment we dissolve, don't we? We, we have a dissolution of our self, of our ego, for a second orgasm, a, a death. It is a death of ourselves for a second. So I think if we're able to cultivate the spiritual practice, we're accessing the source of freedom within ourselves through our own spiritual practice cultivated over time, then I think we have a foundation that things can begin to shift as well. So mm. I, I would say that's, that's just a place. I mean, we could have a whole nother conversation on that, but I would say that's, that's really a place to start. And, 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 and I would say surrender is a key to that. You know, part of my invitation is, is the invitation to people to yes, surrender to your deepest truth. Yes. Surrender to your purpose. Yes. Surrender to, you know, allowing yourself to be guided by life, surrender, control, surrender, uh, surrendering to beyond your ego identity to who and what it is that you really are. To me, the greatest conspiracy is that we are just this mind, this body, this ego, our thoughts, our beliefs, our nationality, our color. The greatest conspiracy that we've been conditioned into is that we are these freaking limited little ego structure beings called me, called Ashley, called Koo, called Joe, called Susie, called whoever. And what we are essentially is, is, is infinite. Mm. And, and what we're really seeking, what we're really seeking is the, is to touch into, even in that orgasmic moment, that drug moment, what we're really seeking is to touch into, to reconnect with that infinite something. Mm. And so I think if we can surrender to, we are divine, you know, something opens up. You know, so I think there's an opportunity to remember that. And, and I think when we surrender, we open to life. You know, we, we let go of control. We open to life. And, and then we can allow, and, and it is a death, but then we can allow. So the invitation is to then allow. What happens when you allow life to, to live you, allow life to move through you, allow yourself to be guided by life? I mean, don't take it from me. Look at the life of Gandhi. Look at the life of Mandela. Look at the life of Mother Teresa. Look at the life of Buddha, Jesus. Bruce Lee, Muhammad Ali, Colin Kaepernick, you know, I mean, the list goes on. Victor Frankl, Sojourner Truth. I mean, they surrender to something bigger than themselves. And I think when we surrender, life may not take you where you think it might go. But what I have found with myself is likely life will take you beyond, beyond personal power, beyond what you could make up with your conscious mind. And I think that's the beauty and that's the magic. And that's what I'm inviting everyone to, to open to. It reminds me of a quote by Viktor Frankl. He says, when we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. 
And I think a lot of that has to do with surrender and entering into that process. Mm -hmm. And until we grieve, we are stuck in the past and we're stuck in a version of ourselves. And I think that whenever I meet people who keep repeating themselves about sad things, it's like, Oh, wow, you haven't processed that yet. It's time to process that. Um, I think my dad has a lot of that. You know, he, at, 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 you know, cocktail parties, he's repeating himself Mm -hmm. about sad things. And I'm like, dad, you got to process that you're stuck in a cul-de-sac with Mm -hmm. the same topic Mm -hmm. in circles. So I guess my question for everybody listening to this conversation is what do you need to grieve? What are you still stuck in? What are you still sad about? And Coot, where can we find your book? Yeah, the book is available. You can go to www.themagicofsurrender.com. Order the book there. Order it through Amazon. I'm giving away a whole bunch of free gifts, uh, a three-hour intensive uh, Magic of Surrender seminar and videos and meditations. And so once they get the book and just enter their receipt and they'll receive all of that. So themagicofsurrender.com by Amazon get the book look forward to connecting with everyone thank you so much again for coming on thanks for having me thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the u-turn podcast in the meantime if you heard about any resource that you're interested in from one of our guests you can find it listed in our show notes on the podcast tab of my website, ashleystahl.com. That's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L.com. On that page, you'll also see our free quiz to help you discover what career path you're actually meant for. And of course, we cannot thank you enough for written podcast reviews. I read every single one. I get so motivated from reading your words and it just means the world to me that you take a moment if you have an Apple device and you write an actual review for me. Thank you so much for doing that. Appreciate you being here and cannot wait to connect with you next week. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.